Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. In the world of risk assessment, there are thousands and thousands of chemicals that need to be evaluated for safety. How do risk assessors actually accomplish this? Turns out there are tools to help with this complicated task. But which tool is right for you? The April 2015 issue of IEAM contains an article titled Chemical Assessment State of the Science that critically evaluates the most commonly used tools for screening and prioritizing chemicals. With us today is co-author Julie Panko to discuss the study. Julie is a principal health scientist with Cardno Chemrisk in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hi, Julie. Thanks for chatting with us today. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. So I think it's safe to say that most of us had no idea so many of these tools were available. Could you tell us a little bit about the different ones? Sure. Uh, you're right. There are lots and lots of tools to use in assessing chemicals. And because there were so many, we found our, ourselves needing to bin the tools by category, and we came up with five different categories of tools. And I should have described this earlier. You know, a tool can be a specific computer program, but it can also be a framework. And the first category are tools that we call screening or prioritization tools. And these are ones that generally have a large capacity for processing data and providing an output that allows you to compare lots of chemicals all at the same time and provide some sort of ranking or scoring. Some examples of those would be Green Screen, Green Suite, and the Lowell Center Alternative Assessment Framework. Another category that we came up with was a database category, and these are for tools that have built-in databases of chemical information that are generally automated. Some of them are web-based, and you can just plug in a CAS number and, and get the information you're looking for. And some examples of those would be tools like Greenworks and GreenSuite and another one called Risk of Derm. Then a third category we called hazard assessment tools, and this category actually had most of the tools we evaluated fell into this category, and these kinds of tools generate output regarding the inherent toxicity or health effects associated with a chemical or a product, and some examples of these include green screen, design for the environment, and green suite. Our fourth category were tools that are capable of doing exposure and risk assessment. In this bin, these tools can actually quantify a person's exposure to a chemical and also provide some indication of risk by combining the hazard information and the exposure data. And some examples of those tools include one called Cyvera and um, another one called Isotoc TRA, which is a tool often used in Europe for the REACH registration. And then lastly, we, we had a bin of tools or a category of tools called certification and labeling. And these are tools that provide the user with some sort of documentation, like a label, indicating that the chemical or the product complies with certain criteria. And a couple of examples of these tools are designed for the environment and another one called Pharos, which is used in the um, building and construction industry. And just so people have some idea of what we're talking about, how many tools did you actually start with when you embarked on this study? Uh, you know, our original search actually came up with about a hundred different tools that we looked at. And, you know, we were able to spin them 
in terms of what they were used for. And some of those hundred tools were life cycle assessment tools or waste reduction tools or things that were more like environmental state and transport uh, predictor kind of tools. So we were really focused on tools that were evaluating chemical hazard and chemical risk. So of those hundred, we had about 30 tools that we evaluated. Uh, This was an extremely ambitious effort on your part. Can you tell us about what exactly compelled your group to take on such a complex topic? (laughs) Yeah, there were a couple of things that, that motivated us to do this analysis. You know, there is enormous pressure on product manufacturers and designers to reconsider the chemical ingredients that are currently used in their products and really move toward embracing the principles of green chemistry. But at the same time, these folks also have a very strong desire to avoid what folks call regrettable substitutions, meaning that they didn't do a careful enough look at what they were substituting and simply traded one one risk for another. So looking at all these tools and using these tools helps them to look at a variety of chemical characteristics. We know through our experience that companies really struggle to know which tool to use to evaluate their chemistry. And we also know that, you know, these tools serve different purposes. So we thought it was pretty important to try and describe the variety of the tools that were available and also understand really which of the tools, if any, could provide a risk-based assessment um, of a chemical or a product. Will you talk a bit about the unique scoring approach that you used? Yeah, absolutely. In general, we, we had two goals. We wanted to see, firstly, you know, how the tools compared to one another in terms of their utility in, in making chemical selection decisions. And then secondly, we wanted to identify, you know, the most robust and, and comprehensive of the tools within each of those categories that I was talking about. And so we came up with a scoring system where we awarded points for um, various criteria. So we created this set of standard criteria. And some of the criteria included the hazard endpoints or the hazard criteria that each tool encompassed. And we scored those against the ANSI 355 standard, which is also known as the Greener Chemicals and Process Information Standard. Then we also looked at the source of the hazard information. If the hazard information came from different sorts of lists that have been compiled or whether the hazard information came from robust data sets like actual studies. We also considered um, and awarded points based on how a tool addressed the data gaps in any sort of chemical profile. If a chemical was missing information about reproductive toxicity, did the tool take away from the score and, and score it lower because of that, or did it not really care if that data was missing? Um, we also looked at the number of chemicals that could be assessed with each of the tools and awarded points for tools that could accommodate more chemicals than less. Um, we also evaluated whether or not the tools have been peer-reviewed um, and awarded points for tools that have been peer-reviewed versus others that haven't. Uh, we also looked at um, one of our criteria was transparency of the tool methodologies. Some of the tools have very, um, very nice methodology documents so you can follow what the philosophy of the tool developers were, sort of where their, their value judgments are. So we award points for transparency. We also awarded points for ease of use. So 
Some of the tools are very easy to use. It uh, doesn't really require somebody to be very sophisticated in, in risk assessment or toxicity. You know, it's just a computer program that puts out information versus other tools where, you know, the process or the framework does require a good deal of, of background in, in toxicology, for instance. And then lastly, one other criteria that we looked at was accessibility. And what we meant by that was whether or not the tool was free to use or whether there was some cost involved to use the tool. Oftentimes, the frameworks are free, uh, and you're free to implement the framework. But other times, the tools, like the computer programs, have a licensing fee or some sort of cost associated with them. So those were our basic scoring criteria. So in essence, your your evaluation has done a great deal in terms of helping people understand what these different tools should probably be used for. So do you see your analysis as a a sort of roadmap to help people select the right tools for their needs? Well, I certainly hope so. That was ultimately our goal. When it comes to selecting or deselecting, in some cases, chemical ingredients, the scientists that are involved in and product stewardship are making very important decisions for their companies, for their supply chains, for their customers or the consumers, and also their communities. And so it's really very critical to get it right. And we are hopeful that our analysis will allow folks to select the right tool for them. You know, deciding which tool to use is complicated. You know, for example, some supply chains have specific requirements to use a specific tool. Um, like Walmart, you know, requires their suppliers to use Greenworks, for instance. But there's also consideration with respect to the sophistication of the person that's going to be using the tool. As I mentioned, ease of use was one of our criteria. And so it's really important to consider who on your staff or who in your company is going to be using the tool and um, their ability to really understand the input requirements, if it's some sort of software program, and their ability to interpret the results. And then, of course, as I mentioned, cost also comes into it. While you might not have to pay to use a a framework, there are some soft costs in terms of labor to execute on the the assessment, whether or not you've purchased a computer program or access to some sort of web tool. And there's always a cost associated with, with doing the assessment. So those are some of the factors that we hope to help people move through in terms of deciding which tool. Now, I think the, the analysis also highlights the strengths and limitations of what we think are the most popular tools. And, you know, while many of the tools scored well in our analysis, um, all revealed some areas for improvement. And I don't think that there is a one-size-fits-all tool out there. And, and I think you do have to be careful when you're selecting the tool. So hopefully our analysis will allow folks some better information in making those decisions. Definitely. And it sounds like this is the first such evaluation of chemical assessment tools. So it'll be interesting to see how people make use of your analysis moving forward. Yeah, it will. I hope it I hope it does inspire um, a good discussion among, you know, the product stewardship community. There are a lot of tools floating out there, custom tools that are that are being built and, and used every day, you know, that we might not even be aware of. We've also embarked on a, a secondary analysis We've taken the top hazard tools that we identified in this current analysis and are looking at each of those tools and seeing how they compare when we use them to assess some specific chemicals. So we're doing a little pilot study just to see how um, how the top tools are stacking up. 
Oh, that sounds like a logical follow-up. We certainly look forward to seeing that from you and your colleagues. Great. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Julie Panko discuss her article, Chemical Assessment State of the Science, Evaluation of 32 Decision Support Tools Used to Screen and Prioritize Chemicals. Access the article in the April 2015 issue of IEAM. Just go to ctechjournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.